so those of us that are uh, visiting today, we have been <clears throat> going on a, um, a journey in sermon series on memorial stones. And what I have here is from the book of Joshua and other places as well. We see that the nation of Israel were to build uh, memorial stones, sometimes altars, sometimes just flat out pillars, as a place of remembrance, okay? So that you, and more importantly, your children would go back to these stones and see what the Lord has done in previous generations, okay? And so I was just feeling from the Lord <clears throat> through this that there are certain memorials, certain bedrocks of belief and thought that um, inside of the church and also outside of the church in recent years have, uh, is being challenged, Right? Uh, one was like uh, the authority of the believer. Another was what are we pursuing? Pursuing the ideal good versus just, you know, the humanly good, right? And you can go back and listen to those if, if you're intrigued by that. Uh, but this one um, just kind of came to me when I was in prayer. Uh, it wasn't, I wasn't even on the radar. Uh, the Lord was really uh, speaking to me uh, to a concept that, in fact, the church begins in the home. Amen. The church begins in the home. And so today is, uh, I think, you know, in terms of edification, this is maybe a, a little bit more of a teaching um, opposed to exhortation. But come on. There's a, a big part of um, the, the, the pastorship and leading a flock uh, is not just, you know, praying for healings and, and deliverance, but also, right, giving doctrine, giving teaching. Um, so today may be a little bit more of a flair of teaching than, than uh, usual uh, weeks, but I, I feel like it's a timely message. The other thing before we start reading is I, I, I want to just you know, talk about the white elephant in the room. Church begins in the home. That, 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 mean, that does not mean that this is just a message for those people that are married and have kids. Who here lives in a home? It's, it doesn't matter what kind. Rent, apartment, condo, it doesn't matter. You live in a home, Right? Right? Well, you live, like, I guess you live in a house, but it is a home, right? There's a difference. House is a structure, home is the atmosphere, right? So let's, let's talk about that, right? Wherever you go, you have a home, right? You're, you're a, a home for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, okay? So single, married, kids, it's, it's all for us, okay? Although obviously there's going to be some discussions on some of the family unit, but please don't, don't get lost in that. 1 Timothy 5.8. I remember reading this a long time ago, and I just got convicted big time. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I want to read this again. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse, worse than an unbeliever. Like, it's like, you got believers, you got unbelievers, man. There's something worse than an unbeliever. Yeah, those that are saved and are not doing the work that you should be doing. And I remember my wife and I getting so convicted with this. I mean, I'm not trying to toot our own horn, but we're married for one year, and my grandmother needs a place to live. And this scripture verse just jumped out at me, like, or what are you going to do? I know this is sensitive right now, but deal with it, right? What do you do? Do you send them away? You put them in some kind of whatever? I, I, I was like, it's my grandmother. You are worse than an unbeliever if you do not care for your own. 
Now, look, I'm not, like, if, if you give care and they're in a retirement home and you're going to them and you're saying hello to them and you're praying for them and you're, and, and you're administering to them and you're helping them, okay, you're, you're taking care. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Shoving them down in the basement never to be seen again. Whoa, you are worse than an unbeliever. Now, I believe that this right here is dealing not just the physical. And, and I want us to make this kind, of, this kind of spiritual jump for a moment. Right? I mean, shouting out at us is taking care of your own. You think of physical things like food, nourishment, place to stay, shelter. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I do believe the Holy Spirit is just really resonating right now that there, it's more than just physical. If you are not taking care of the home spiritually, you may in fact be worse than an unbeliever. That's not me, and that's not Timothy. That's Paul speaking to Timothy. A young guy in the faith, a young pastor, if you will. Okay? All right. So here it is, right? The, the, why, why is this? Why, why is there such a sensitivity here? Paul is instructing a pastor, actually. Timothy is going to be really built up to be a pastor. And what Paul is saying here is, is, is actually the family, the home, is really an archetype, a symbol, a representation of the kingdom of God at large. This is something that we have forgotten sometimes. And this is, this is the reason why the enemy is trying to work his way into homes. He's trying to work his way into family relationships. He's trying to question what family relationships are. He's doing all of it because the home is intended to be an archetype or a representation of the kingdom of God. So, you have a bunch of families that make up the ecclesia, the church, the coming together of the saints. So he's going to work his way into families and try to destroy families. And in fact, in crazy in the 21st century, destroy the actual concept of what a family is because it's a representation of the kingdom of God. This is the way that God has put his footprint, his DNA, his spiritual DNA on earth. Okay, that's the way it is. Okay, how do we see this? Look, Adam and Eve, family, they have kids. Before they have kids, they're living in, it's kind of funny living in utopia, right? They're living in the ideal world, right? They're living in the garden. But what's going on here? In this family unit, in their home, the garden, they have been, they have been told to steward and tend to and take care of. Take care of the garden, Adam and Eve. Take care. Steward over it. And then the scriptures say, and go out and subdue the whole earth, right? Even in the story of Eden, there has been the process and the desire by the Father for Adam and Eve to actually kind of enlarge Eden, not leave Eden, enlarge Eden. Tend to, steward, enlarge. Tend to, steward, enlarge. Right? That's what we have in Genesis 1 and 2, the very beginning. Right? Once you're tending to your home, tending to your family, right, we enlarge our imprint and the Lord's imprint on our communities. But here's the thing, right? You can't focus on external things without dealing with the internal things of your home. This, this is an issue that happens all the time. This is where ministers and ministries fall apart, right? They pay so much attention to the ministry that they forget about the home. And that's where you have adultery. And that's where you have sexual impurities come forth. This is where you have breaking up of marriages and all this kind of stuff in the pastorship because there's too much focus on the church building and not enough focus on the church of the family, right? Look, everyone in here, you are a pastor. Everyone in here is a pastor. 
pastor of your home. You lead your home, particularly the males, right? You lead. You are the priest of the home. And obviously, if you are married, the wives are, of course, also acting in a, in a pastorship uh, in that context right there. So really what we have here is, is the family, the home, is really a microcosm. Uh, this is why also in Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, I told you it's going to be a little bit more of a teaching today, um, that there is a warning about becoming a pastor. And a warning about becoming a deacon. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Okay? Now, some people say, oh, this is a man. Well, we, we, maybe that'll be another sermon series. Or if you're that intrigued, we can talk about it. But there are certain denominations that are like fervently like, no, no women uh, pastors and things like that. Um, I'm proud to say that the Assemblies of God does, does not agree with that at all. It's actually one of the first evangelical and Pentecostal denominations that ordained females way back in like the 1920s and 30s, which would be like unheard of back then, let alone today. There are plenty of examples of, 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 of women teaching and pastoring and apostles. Paul calls out an apostle who is a female. If you can be an apostle who is a female, I'm assuming you, you probably could teach as well, right? If you're an apostle, right? But that's another conversation, but I just, I just wanted to do that in case people are thinking about that. That's just where we stand. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. Oof. The husband of one wife. Temperate. Sober-minded. Of good behavior. Hospitable. Thank God for my wife. She's more hospitable than I am. Able to teach. Not given to wine. Not violent. Not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. Key, one who rules his own house well. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up, puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. So what do we have here, right? We see, we see that the qualifications in the resume to become a bishop, a pastor in many regards, although they are different, is to make sure that they are ruling over or rather tending to and stewarding their own home well. Right there we see, we see something. What we see here is that in the concept and the lens of the Lord, the home is this foreshadowing, is this archetype, is a representation or a microcosm of the church at large. And if you're not running your home well, you're not going to be able to run a church well. It's a requirement. It's a resume. Nowhere does it say a seminary. It says, let me look at your home life. Now, the, 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 the piece about um, uh, children, uh, I do believe that, that there is a stage where children are responsible for themselves. Right? If, if your child is 25, 20, 18, I would even venture to say 16, and they're not walking with the Lord, I, I would say that you're still eligible to be a pastor. There is an age of accountability where a child now is like, okay, you've done well, mom and dad, but now they're accountable before the Lord. Now, in our culture, we may say 18. In Jewish culture back then, it's age 12. You're 12, you're a man. You're a woman. 
of the covenant, a bar and bat mitzvah. It's now up to you, kid. You're 12 years old. You are now responsible before the Lord, not me. Woo, okay? So in that culture back then, it's like 12 or 13 years of age. Today, you might be like 16, 17, 18. I don't know. That's up to you as individuals. Um, there comes a point where you have to let go, right? right? You're a man. You're a woman, all right? But what I really want you to get here is, right, we see this very clearly. The home is a representation of something that's larger. And so here's the bit. Your family, your home, no matter your husband, a wife, if you're single, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, all of it all together, here is a certain reality. In your family and in your home, in your little Eden, you have authority. You have to get this. You have authority over your home. You have authority in your family. If you're a parent. Um, this goes back even after New Testament days. In the year 1604, Sir Edward Coke, the Supreme Court, or rather the justice to the king's parliament, said it this way. A man's home is his castle. This is uh, underneath, this, this, this lays the bedrock to English common law, which America took a part of. It's a notion that your home is your castle. It is your property. It is your place of dominion. It's where you have authority, where even the government has restrictions. A government can't enter into your castle. It's your castle. You have the authority. No one's allowed into it. It's yours. It's where we get the whole notion in the Bill of Rights, right, where you have the protection of searches and seizures to your property. Uh, your home is your castle. Then, therefore, you are the lord of your castle. You have a tremendous amount of authority over your home because it's a representation of the kingdom. We have a tremendous amount of authority in the kingdom. But before we get that, you have to say, well, I have to understand the concept of having authority over the spiritual atmosphere of my home because church begins in the home. And then it should work outside of that. I mean, this is riddled in Scripture, right? Look at the relationship between husbands and wives. Love, respect, right? Husbands, love your wife like Christ loves the church. Your house, your home is a representation of the same dynamics of the greater kingdom at large. Children, we are to raise them up and instruct them if you have children. Psalm 127. Verse 3. It's a good verse. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Talk about a memorial stone. Right, with abortion and, 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 and adoptions and come on, right? It's a heritage. And they are on loan. They're on loan from the Lord. The result of, of all this is this. Right? The home and the family is a world of its own. Not in the Mormon sense. And the Mormons go all crazy with this. But I want you to understand this. And I don't want to be like, Please, I'm not making theology out of this. I'm not making this like dogmatic. But it's, it's, it's like your home is a representation of the earth. It's a representation of Eden. Everyone has a plot. Everyone has a plot of authority. Everyone has a plot of real estate in some regards. 
And it's very, very much like God has the real estate of the earth. It's you have real estate and authority over your home. The manner in which God rules the earth is in many regards how you have rulership over your home. Psalm 115 says it this way, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth, the earth is given to man. God has given you authority over the church of your home. He's given us the earth, mankind, and he's given you a small little Eden. The question here now is how will you govern it? How will you lead it? How will you allow your world to operate? Your home. Your church. What is church? Ecclesia, a gathering of believers. How does your church operate? How does your home operate? Think about it. If you were the pastor of a church and you looked at the way in which you pastored your house, Would the board kick you out? <laughs> Would you get defrocked? Look, I believe fervently, right? The Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. I'm for it. I pray it. I believe it. I want to see heaven come to earth. But I'm telling you right now, your prayer needs to be not heaven invade earth, heaven invade my home. You have no business, all due respect, you have no business praying for heaven invading Bristol, heaven invading Philadelphia, heaven invading planet earth if you can't even steward your home yet. Lord, before heaven invades earth, please invade my home. Let me pass through my home. Let me love my home. Let me respect my home. Let me instruct my children. Let me build an atmosphere of Eden in my home. When that comes, now it's time to enlarge Eden. Right? Now with that, there's qualifying things, right? Look, you come to my house, it's not always peaceful. I've got three kids, three dogs, four sheep, four goats, we just inherited three more ducks, so I think we're up to 10 ducks, 15 chickens. It is not always peaceful. Okay, look, I got an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old, right? I made the mistake, and I put big girl underwear on the two-year-old yesterday. Mom comes by and is like, why is she all wet? I think she ate a lot of watermelon. Juice is coming out. No, it wasn't watermelon. All right? Now, look, I'm not saying that everything has to be perfect. Come on. That's, that's, a, that's a problem. You are not stewarding Eden well if you're demanding perfection. We don't demand perfection. We demand places of growth and love, right? You start getting into this perfection spirit, your kids are going to spite you. Your spouse is not going to like you. Congregants in a church are going to leave. We do not push perfection. Push an ideal that you can be made transformed into the image of heaven, in the image of God. But we get to learn and grow, and you're allowed to make mistakes. Okay? And this one, Daddy made a mistake. But there's going to come a time when I put those big girl underwear on, and we're going to be there. Right? 
So yes, heaven needs to invade my home. Our, our homes uh, should be a place of peace, should be a place of healing or restoration. The kingdom, it really should be Eden reimagined. And what happened in Eden? There was a fall in Eden, right? Things go wrong in Eden. Things sometimes go wrong in your home. But what did the authority say to those that lived in the biblical Eden? Where are you? I'm right here. Adam, Eve, you made a mistake, but I'm still here. Spouse, you made a mistake. I'm still here. Kids, you made a mistake. I'm still here. I made a mistake. It's okay. I'm still here, right? I'm not talking perfection. I'm talking about atmosphere. The peace to be able to make a mistake. Peace to challenge. And to, you get it, right? Now, the patriarchs, we, we have lessons from the patriarchs. The patriarchs of the Bible understood this. They understood this. Abraham is promised a promised land. But here's the thing. We're promised a promised land, right? We're promised the, the, the invasion of heaven to earth. We're promised the return of the king, return of Messiah. We're promised that. We're promised to go and heal people and, 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 and see the gospel released on planet earth. Absolutely. That, that, in some regards, is the promised land. But here's the thing. Abraham is given a promised land, but this is what, the way it works. When being led to the promised land, the patriarchs ensured that where they presently stood was a representation of the promise. Look, we, we are given a promise that all things will be whole, all things will be pure, all things will be perfected one day in his coming. But I'm telling you, until that day arrives, wherever we stand, it should be a representation of the promise, although we're not in the promised land yet. You still have the authority of that. So don't forget that you are your own kingdom. Even before you go into your home, your apartment, your condo, you, your building, your, your body, you are your own kingdom. Where you lay your head is your own kingdom. Very important. No one else has authority over that. No one else. No one has authority over your being. It's you before the Lord. No one has authority over your house unless, obviously, you do something very egregious and there's search warrants and stuff, right? But, right, a man, his home is his castle. But what we have here with the patriarchs is this. I mean, this is like you're going to scratch your head a little bit with this. Abraham had no church. Abraham had no temple. He built some altars. But think about this. How did, how, during the days of Abraham, and of the patriarchs, how did the world see and encounter your God? This is very, very important, actually even frustrating as a pastor. You're going to bring the lost into the church so they can encounter God, please. That's not the way it was. Did not the Lord himself say, I do not want a temple? My presence cannot be housed in any structure. I do not want a temple, but his love for David and David's desire, he built a temple. God didn't want a temple. God didn't want a church. God didn't want altars. He just wanted you and his presence. Before a temple, before church buildings, how, this is fundamental memorial stone. How did earth encounter your God? They saw him in you. 
they encountered him with you. It wasn't come, Abraham was like, come to my church and encounter God. It was, look at my life, you encounter him. Come into my Eden, come into my tent, come amongst my flock, and you will encounter the presence of God. Not a church, not the temple of Solomon, not even altars. We have to get this fundamental thing. Someone's not going to come to your church and hear me speak and then get saved. No, they need to encounter you, encounter God in your home, in your Eden, and get saved. And you bring them here to get fed and trained up. Complete difference. See, you have the responsibility to enlarge your Eden. Dave doesn't have the responsibility to enlarge this Eden. I'm here to encourage and to train and to give insight and doctrine. You guys and I as individuals are in charge of showing the world the promise of God through encounter. How did it happen? It's very powerful, man. Very, very powerful how Abraham and his descendants made this happen. One of my favorite scripture verses. See, what happens here is before a temple, before even a tent of meaning, people looked at Abraham's descendants. They looked at them. And they saw that Abraham's descendants lived differently. And they did things differently. And they watched. The nations of the earth watched. It's part of the reason why Abraham and his descendants had to go to Egypt, so that what they would watch. You go into a tough place. You go into a work where it's no way in Eden. You go into a neighborhood where there's no way in Eden. Oh, well, the people are watching. The people watched Abraham's descendants in Egypt. They watched these are peculiar people. They're strange people. They watched their watch, and the prophet Isaiah gave a testimony. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. And deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light. Those that are not Abraham's descendants, the Gentiles, the non-Jew, will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Well, during the days of Solomon's temple, they're not coming to Solomon's temple and seeing, encountering God. They're going to come to you. They want to see your Eden. They want to see your church, for lack of a better phrase. Amen? Come on, we see this all over the Bible. Lot, Abraham's relative, saw the favor of God on Abraham. It was like, whoa, God must be with you. Right? Laban, Jacob's father-in-law, saw the success and the favor and the bounty and the servitude and the humility be be before a really kind of a jerk father-in-law and saw Jacob's sheep and flocks grow in bounty and he was astonished at the favor of God on Jacob. Laban, Lot, encounter God's faithfulness through an encounter with a different people. One of the greatest examples, Saul and David. Holy cow, 1 Samuel 18. In everything David did, he had great success. Everything he did, he had great success. Now, I'm not doing some like Western prosperity theology that everything you do, you're just being a millionaire. No, no, no. I'm talking about be successful in the struggle. Be successful in the trial. Be successful in the tribulation. 
When your coworkers and the people around you see you going through a hard time, but your countenance is full of joy because of the love of the Father, that is going to put success and an encounter of the Holy Ghost in front of them. But if the Lord gives us a tremendous amount of success in monetary ways, why not? In everything David did, everything he did, everything he did, he had great success. Why? Because the Lord was with him. This is key, encountering, seeing, seeing the Eden, seeing the church in you and your, in your family. Here it is. When Saul saw, S-A-W, when Saul saw how successful David was, he became afraid of David. Right? He's so successful. There's such an anointing on his life. He's such a representation of the favor of the Lord and of Eden and the church of God encountering him that even Saul, who was anointed to be king, is struck in fear and awe in the favor of God upon David's life. They didn't hash it out at the church. And say, hey, let's go into David's, uh, into the tent of meeting outside and talk about all this stuff. No, they encountered Jesus himself, right? Luke 2 says, Jesus, of all people, grew in favor before God and man. What does this mean for this sermon? For this sermon is, if he grew in favor before God and man, someone must have seen that, right? The community sees Jesus growing in favor. Saul sees David growing in favor. Uh, David growing in favor. Lot sees Abraham. Laban sees Jacob. The Gentiles shall see Israel. It's all an encounter because of what we carry and what we bring. Not to the church. To your church. To your family. To your body. To your area of influence. Look, the loss will look into your kingdom, people. The person in the grocery line is looking into your kingdom. The person at school is looking into your kingdom. The person at work is looking into your kingdom. The person at the gas station is looking, is peering into your kingdom. We have people all over planet Earth that are living in a strange land. They're not living in Eden, spiritually. And every once in a while, they come in contact with a descendant of the land of Eden. And they look inside of this world, and they want to see your world. What is it like back in a spiritual Eden? I'm not from there. I'm telling you right now, for the vast majority of people that you come in contact with, you will be the only Bible they read. You will be the only church they attend. What kind of church are you showing them? What kind of Bible are you showing them? I want to show them an encounter with Jesus. So you have great authority over your home, right? A man's home is his castle. And this is where really where the rubber hits the road. Okay. You are the pastor of your home. If you're single, that means you are the pastor of your being, your person. If you're a father, you're the pastor and the priest of your home. If you're a, a, a mother, you also are a, a, a pastor and a priestess of your home. And you have the authority. You have authority over your person. You have authority over the place in which you lay your head. And because you have the authority, and a man or a woman's home is his castle, whether it's a physical structure or your actual biological being, 
If you have the authority, you decide. Listen to this. The United States government is not allowed in my house without a search warrant. You decide spiritually who comes in and what comes in. Enemy is not allowed in my house. Sanctified sacred space. It's got the blood of Jesus on it. Enemy is not allowed in this space. The ways of the world are not allowed in this space. You get to decide what comes in, who comes in, what the atmosphere will be like, what people will encounter when they're there. Will they encounter an Eden that has been redeemed, reimagined, or will they encounter defilement? And I don't just mean like the movies you watch. I'm talking about the character that you have, the lack of patience you have, the lack of peace you have. What will they encounter? And so the unfortunate reality here is this. Many people in the church, many people in the church at large, have really not guarded the castle walls too well. They haven't. Let's be real. Uh, and I, I, I found this, this video, and I may have to explain it to try to build the connection, but um, I, I'm a public high school teacher, and the amount of times that I hear parents or kids talk about, I can't believe school. They don't teach my kid how to balance a checkbook. They don't teach my kid how to put a tire on. You teach them all useless information. I, I hear it all the time. It's really funny. And it's partially true. But yeah, if we can go to the video, please. Pretty much what it is, is we are preparing these students for life after high school. There are some things in life you can't learn from a textbook. I know I have a spare tire in my car, but I would have known nothing to do with it. You'll notice what color is that fluid. At Fern Creek High School, seniors are getting hands-on lessons in life. They are learning how to change a tire, and they're also learning how to check their oil. College access resource teacher Sarah Wilson-Abel organized Adulting 101. It's a three-day course for seniors at the school. Yesterday was all about money, today it's home and health, and tomorrow it's about being a professional. And so they're getting a little taste of everything. When a spare looks like that... Tuesday, the students got their hands dirty. They learned about cars, how to do household tasks like hanging a picture. Always have a level. And since many of them will be living in dorm rooms in a few months, there was a class on how to cook meals in the microwave. French toast in a cup. The students even got some celebrity support. Master Chef champion and Fern Creek graduate Chef Jerron Hurt stopped by to encourage the students during a microwave dorm room cook-off. Pizza rolls, ramen noodles, um, a jar of peanut butters and things like that. For many of the students, they welcome the lessons and don't think their generation should be criticized for not already knowing how to quote, adult. They're like, oh, they should just know how to change a tire. They should just know how to do this stuff. But we actually, in reality, have never been taught this, so we don't know how to do any of it. But after this course, many students say they're ready for the real world. Ready to adult, yeah. <laughs> Carolyn Callahan, WLKY News. All right. I'm going to be real with you as a public high school teacher, but I want to put a spiritual spin on this, right? I, I remember... Uh, I'm not on Facebook much, but one of my students from like 10, 12 years ago posted a, like a thing about this, like these are the things that we should be te teachers should be teaching in school. Uh, what's your thought? And I just put in the comment, your parents, period. <laughs> your parents should be the one who's teaching you how to change a tire, not taxpayer money. 
Your parents would teach you how to make a, a meal, how, how apropos, right? When public square teaches you how to do it, they teach you how to do it in a microwave. Sure, that's going to be very healthy. No. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. We have to be very, very careful as a memorial stone. We are not to subcontract those things of the Spirit that have been entitled and destined to be taught and instructed in the home. Not school, but not television. And this is the one that's going to really ruffle feathers. Not your church. Don't be subcontracting out to me. You are the leader of your home, not me. You teach your kids, you teach your spouses, you teach yourself things. That's not my role. It's not my role. I add to, I encourage, I instruct further. The church has been subcontracting way too much, people. You've given the public school the right to teach about sex and money and, 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 and life and ethics and morals and values. And some of you have decided to do homeschooling. Fine, you know, that's fine. Some people like homeschool, some people don't. But look, man, it's, it's this notion. Who's in charge of the Eden in which you have authority over? You do. So you teach your kid how to change attire. But more importantly, teach your kid what a lifestyle of prayer looks like. Teach your kid what worship looks like. This is why I even have to, you subcontracted it. Wednesday, it's the whole purpose. You should be worshiping in your home. You should be praying in your home. You should be teaching your children in your home. Not sending it off to the Sunday school. Subcontracting. Come on, man. You have authority over the Eden. You have authority over the church in which you have. And look, this is very, very powerful because I've done some, some decent amount of research. And why the church at large is so wonky in terms of the ratio and proportion of females to males. Very fascinating information out there. Okay? Uh, I think in the, 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 the Christian church is about 70, 30, 60, 40. I think it's a little bit more like 70, 30. 70% female, 30% male. Uh, in both Judaism and in Islam, it's almost a perfect 50-50. So out of the monotheistic religions, the only one that, has, that is more, much more heavenly female than male is Christianity. There's lots of reasons for it. There's lots of reasons for it, and I taught on this like two years ago on Father's Day about it. But I, I would say this. One of the things that I was reading in a book that I was reading on this subject, and one thing I, I learned from my uncle who just, he loves the Lord. He reads the word every day. He loves the Lord, but he just doesn't attend, attend church. I'm like, Uncle Danny, what's the deal? And he's like, the churches that I've been a part of, and this is the heartbeat that was in this book, there are men who don't want to come to church because they, when they're sitting there, they feel the pastor is stripping away their authority in the home. The kids look to the pastor. The wives look to the pastor as the spiritual head. I'm not the spiritual head of your home. Husbands are. But I'm telling you, if you look around, much, much, many more females, and it's a vibe that the pastor is the chief, he's the final authority, he's the guy, and a lot of males don't like that. Of course they don't like it. 
It's not biblical. This is a new thing, man. This whole thing we're doing here this is very new. Early church is meeting in people's homes. You're inviting people in. You're the, you probably are, are, are the um, owner of the house or you're the person that lives in the rented apartment and you invite people into your space. You invite people into your Eden and then you show them your Eden. This whole gathering place like this is a very new concept. So yeah, you have this spiritual authority over your home. You have to be careful what goes in and what people see. Ben Franklin put it this way. Love your neighbor, yet don't pull down your hedge. Fences make good neighbors, right? You love your neighbor. We love people around us, but you put up a hedge. You're not, that, that is not allowed in here. It's not allowed in my spirit. You're, that culture of America not allowed in here. That junk of the world is not allowed in my homes for my little girls. Uh-uh, not allowed. Right? We had, we had a, end, end a TV program that, uh, that, that the girls were watching. Right? Naomi was in tears. How come? You have to explain to her. This is not what God wants. Right? You, just got, you, got, you have to do that. You draw a line and say, we are a different people. And when your friends come to you and say, how come you don't do X, Y, and Z? It's because I'm a strange and peculiar people. I serve a living God. Now, at 8, you might not be able to do that, but at 15 and 16, you bet, best be. You best be doing it by then. Because you are a man and a woman before a living God. That happens when you train them up. When you take the authority and priesthood of your home. Yes, kids make mistakes. I make some mistakes. Michelle makes mistakes. Yes, but it's a place of growth. Okay? Uh, Jamie, if you come on down, please. So closing this up here. Look, I just, I just feel like healthy ministries take time to teach on such things, Right? I mean, we teach on the prophetic, we teach on healing, all that stuff, but come on, man. You know, wake up tomorrow, you're in your house, you're in your home. That is your church. That's where you're spending most of your time. We need to learn how to govern that well. We need to know how to bring the spirit of Jesus into that place. Okay? And it's a memorial stone. Because I'm telling you, right, you, you put that thing, look, I like TV. I like TV programs. I like movies. But I'm telling you, man, a lot of times you just got to be like, no. No. We just can't allow that to come into my Eden. And it's not just the television, right? It's the way in which we do things. It's life. It's, the, it's not allowing fear to come into your home. Not allowing the anxiety to come into your home. Yeah, we go through things, I know. But how do we deal with it? How do we respond to it, right? How do we take on the Lord? How do we allow our kids to see these things, right? Or spouses, or we ourselves. Church begins in the home because that is the pattern God designed, right? Ecclesia, or ecclesia, depending on the pronunciation, in Greek is simply the word for church. What is it? It's a gathering of believers. That's what it is. That's what it literally means. A gathering. Wherever you gather believers together, it's an ecclesia. It is a church. Do you have believers in your home? It's a church. It's a gathering. We see a pattern from the scriptures for, for Adam and Eve. Take care of Eden, the garden. Then go out. It's taking care of your home. It's taking care of your business. It's taking care of your life. 
and then we go out from that because that's where health will be, right? That's where the healthy things will be. But really, you know, I think in many regards for this, maybe a bigger rationale is this for this sermon. From the history of the Bible to the end of the age, I do not see people getting saved by going to church per se. Right? Paul isn't like, oh, and so-and-so went to the house church of Timothy and they got saved. No, how, how do people get saved? From the beginnings of the Bible to the book of Revelation where churches are outlawed, where do they get saved? They get saved from an encounter. It could be a miraculous encounter like Paul had on the road. The Lord shows up. That does happen. But more time than not in the modern era, and even back in the days of the Bible, someone comes in contact with someone who is different and lives different. Your home, physical structure, your spiritual home, your body, they come in contact with that church. And they're impacted. That's why I'm, 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 I'm optimistic. I'm excited. I'm excited the world in America is getting so wonky. I really am. Now, how can I say that? It's so much easier to be different now. In the 1950s, you're Christian. You're no different than someone who's not Christian in many regards. Now, to be a Christian in the 21st century, you are a strange and peculiar people. I know, but look at my Eden. Look into my world, and you tell me which one you'd rather have. My kids are happy. My marriage is healthy. I have peace. I have good friends who will drop anything at the drop of a hat. Look at that world. So I'm excited. Because as things get darker, it's not that the light gets, that gets brighter. It's not like the flame gets bigger. It's just that there's more exposure of the light. And so when people are saying, how come your kids aren't watching XTV? Or how come you may have pulled your kids out of public school, depending upon how the public school is being run? Because I really do believe that some public schools, from a public school teacher's perspective, is still towing a decent enough line for me. Other schools, it's, it's, it's time. Sorry. It's time. You got you to take your kids out. Some of the things that they're teaching, it really, honestly, I'm telling you from a public school teacher's perspective, it really depends on the individual school and the school district. Some are like, took a whole other narrative, and some are still holding back a little bit. But there may become a time where there's going to be no choice. Why did you take your kids out of school? Well, because I don't want my second grader learning about like homosexuality and, uh, and gender fluidity and drag queens. That's why. Why? So easy now. So easy now. Right? So easy to have, a, to have a, a window, a doorway into the power of the gospel. Oh, and by the way, you're not feeling well? Let me pray for you and see you be healed. Come on. They need to see a strange. They need to see not resolve assembly. They need to see an encounter with the living God through each and one of you. But it happens when we declare the authority over a home, 
and over our being. And so in part with this, I really do believe with this holy fire, holy fire needs to come into the church again. That holy fire needs to come into your church. It's already here. It needs to come into your church. It needs to come into your, ha- your house. Leviticus 6. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. And lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. You got to keep the fire burning in your temple. You got to keep the fire burning in your person. You got to keep the fire of the presence of God burning inside of your house and your home and your relationships and your spousal relationships and your children. But I'm telling you right now, many of us have taken this kind of theology and we're like, okay, that's going to be like increased time of prayer and thought. Yeah, but that's not what's going on here. In order to burn a fire, you need wood. In order to have wood, someone needs to cut the wood. Action. This is not thoughts. It's not just prayer. Prayer is awesome. Action. There's some priest that had to go out into the woods and cut down a tree. We got to get active in the fire. Prayer is active, but I hope you hear my heart. I'm all about prayer. I'm all about meditation. I'm talking about action. You gotta go out and swing out. You gotta swing an axe. You gotta cut down some wood. You gotta let it dry out. And you gotta put that wood on the fire. What is the wood, right? It's it's it has to be dead. Right? We need to put the things of sin, the things of the world, dead on the fire and let them burn. But look, we gotta be careful with this. Because I'm telling you, I grew up in a home that was hyper, hyper charismatic. And parents could slam you, man. If you're not reaching the mark of holiness, this is not slamming your kids. This is, this, this is, we need to do things. We need to look at ourselves, at the pastors of our home, and put the things of the world, and put them to death on the fire of God. And your kids will see it, your spouses will see it, your community will see it. But another thing, action. You need, please catch this. We'll be done in a moment. You need to invite people into your Eden. Saul needed to see David. Lot needed to see Abraham. Laban needed to see Jacob. You need to allow people to see your church, to see your Eden, to see your life. You literally, literally, and physically need, period, to period, invite people into your home. Sorry, there's no introversion in the kingdom. Time of intercession, prayer, and fasting is is introversion, being an introvert. You got to be an introvert sometimes, you got to be an extrovert sometimes. You need to invite people into your home and let them see Eden. Let them see how your world is different. They're not coming in here. When was the last time you had a neighbor that was not safe coming to this church building? They're not coming in here. Maybe that's because they're not supposed to yet. They're supposed to come into your church. They're supposed to have an encounter with God in your space. Don't be subcontracting it out to Pastor Dave. Don't be subcontracting out to, to Pastor Josh and Pastor Jamie. 
Uh-uh. No subcontracting in the business of the Lord. One practical way to see this, right, with the people coming to Eden, let your gentleness be evident to all. It's really adopting the character of Jesus in your homes. It's adopting the character of the saints in your house and in your life and in your, in your, in your interactions with people. Let your gentleness be evident to all. I love this scripture verse, and I'm kind of frustrated that they stopped there. What's the next line? Anyone know? Full scripture verse, Philippians 4, 5, I guess probably to 6 is, Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. It's twofold to this. Let your gentleness, the character of Jesus, be evident to everyone. Let them see the peace and the gentleness of your Eden, of your church. Why? Because the Lord is near. Meaning wherever you are, the Lord is there. He's there watching you. How come you're not being so how come you're not being merciful? How come you're not being gentle? He's there. But I think what's also a second level to this is let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near, meaning his time of return is coming. He's near. He's coming back. And he's taking his bride, the church, in many regards. So we need to invite people in to our church. 1 Timothy 5.8, going full circle. But if anyone does not provide for his own. Remember, that's not just physical. That's spiritual, what you're doing in your households. And, especially for those of his household. So, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, there's a differentiation, isn't there? Those who do not provide for their own, and also for their household. Household, I get. What's the own? Provide for their own. Look at them. They're all here. These are our own. Michelle and I and my kids is our household. Catch this. This is not just not providing physically and also spiritually for your house and your family. But if you don't do that to your household and if you don't do that to your own, you're worse than an unbeliever. Why? Because you're all saints. Why? Because you all have authority. You're all churches. You're all the temple, the stones of God. We're all supposed to be Adam's and Eve's. We're all supposed to be pastoring. We're all supposed to be assisting. We're all supposed to be encouraging. We're all supposed to be dealing with the junk and bearing the burdens of others and fulfilling the law of Christ. Not Pastor Dave. Only. All of you. Not me, but Paul. If you're not doing that, you're worse than an unbeliever. Woo, I'll serve you up when we stand. Lord, we thank you for grace. We thank you that we know in part at times, but we want to know fully, Lord. And Father, I just pray right now that for us in this place, in this church, Lord, that we would take care of our own. We would take care of our brothers and sisters. 
not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, that we engage with one another, that we would open up to one another, that we invite one another into our homes, that we have community and friendship and family together. <clears throat> Father, I, <coughs> I pray that we can invite holy fire into our households, that we can invite holy fire into our temples of stone that are us. Lord, I pray that if there are parents or their spouses that haven't been taking the pastorship of their church correctly, that they do. Lord, we're not praying for perfection for our kids. We're not praying for perfection for our spouses. We're not even praying perfection for ourselves. We're praying for the character of Jesus. We're praying for our people who, 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 who want to learn and want to be transformed. And if we are to be transformed, that means there's a process of being transformed. But Lord, we pray for open hearts right now and open spirits to be willing to be led and willing to be transformed and willing to submit to one another to allow an older brother, a younger brother, an older sister, a younger sister to speak over us and to guide us in the things of the world. Not just for our benefit, so that the world, a Saul, will see a peculiar people, a David, see the favor of the Lord, and that they will be overcome by the awesomeness, the reverence of God in our lives. Amen. We invite the, uh, the altar team to come on down. If there's anything that you want prayer for, it's, it's regarding this message or not. Come on down. These are people that have just given up their time and really are desiring to pray for people. I, I also want to just invite you, uh, you know, feel free to go. We, ha we have our cafe next door and we'll, we'll hang out there. But I just want to invite you, look, look if, if there are things that you just need to lay down before the Lord, if you've subcontracted a little too much, why don't you get out into the aisles? Why don't you, why don't you come out to the altar up front and just come before the Lord and just say, Lord, I want to be a priest in my home. I want to be a pastor in my home. I don't want to subcontract things. I, I mean, getting help is awesome. Getting assistance is awesome. But I need to, you know, as an individual, bear some level of responsibility. I want my body and my spirit and my house where I lay my head to be an archetype of the kingdom. Come on, I just invite you to come on out. If you're like, Lord, I, I don't want just heaven to invade earth. I want heaven to invade my home. I'm telling you that in the spirit right now that there is an open door to step into that.